0: It takes two I thought one was enough It's not true Welcome to It Takes Two, a mentorship podcast. My name is Simon Miron. I'll be uh, your moderator for this session. I have two wonderful people uh, here with me, and I'll just ask you to uh, feel free to introduce yourselves, offer up your pronouns if you feel so inclined, and if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your artistic practice. Maybe Maddie, if you want to get us started.
1: (laughs) Okay, Hi, my name is Maddie Richard. My pronouns are she, her. Yeah, I grew up as a competitive dancer, which was always my main thing, and then I was kind of into musical theater but didn't have time for it, and then I graduated high school and I realized I could go to university and do theater, so I've been doing that at the U of M. I did a couple of years with the Village Conservatory, which was great, and then that's when I was exposed to like creation and writing my own stuff and creating my own stuff, and I haven't been able to let that go since, so I've just been exploring that in a lot of different ways.
0: Thanks, Maddie. I'll pass it on to Yvette.
2: Hi, Yvette Nadishnikaz, Kitagansi v. Nongdanjaba. My name is Yvette Nolan. My people are from Kitiganzi v. Algonquin First Nation in Quebec, but I was born in Saskatchewan and grew up in Winnipeg. And have lived all over the country. And now I'm back in Saskatchewan, beaming in from Saskatoon, which is Treaty 6 territory. I'm a playwright, a director, a dramaturge. I've been doing this for 30-odd years. And yeah, it's really great to be working on this project with Maddie back in my hometown.
0: Awesome. Thanks, you two. What a wonderful treat to have you both on here with us. And uh, we're looking forward to spending a little bit of time to get to know you better and get to know this process that you've undertaken. Maddie, if you don't mind getting us started, what led you to apply for this project?
1: Yeah, I was doing a resident artist thing this summer with One Trunk, and I was, like, enjoying creation, as I do, and I just wanted to keep going, and the idea of, like, having a mentor, like, a professional mentor to help me out was really cool. And then we had done, like, a playwriting workshop, so I had been intrigued by playwriting specifically. And so then that was something I decided I wanted to explore. Then, yeah, just figuring out like how to connect myself with Indigenous theatre more since that's something that hasn't really been a part of my artistic journey yet
0: was it like for you to uh, be contacted by us and kind of to know uh, Maddie a little bit from the from the start?
2: It was great I like I'm always so thrilled when I'm introduced to emerging Indigenous artists because we still are so few we still don't have you know critical mass and uh, and it's just really exciting to me when we're when we find new people who are interested in and I'm a theater rat I mean I did anything and everything to stay in the theater that's what. Winnipeg did to me, Maddie, like I got sucked <laughs> into the black hole, literally, um, at the University of Manitoba when I was doing my undergrad, and never stopped. By the time I graduated with my undergrad, I was working as, as a theater professional, but I would do anything to be in the theater. So I I hung lights, I laid dance floor, and eventually started working at the Winnipeg Fringe, where I saw plays being made, and most of them were not very good. And I was like, surely I could do better than that. And that's how I started writing plays. So, so Winnipeg was a crucible for me. Winnipeg was where I started my career uh, Winnipeg should have way more Indigenous artists coming out of it because of the population there but you know the way the way the world works we're still not there so when Village Conservatory reached out and said hey there's a young artist here who we think you might want to work with I was like I am so there and especially so exciting when we started talking in our first meeting and I'm like so what do you want to do and Maddie's like I want to do playwriting and I was like <laughs> right on here we go it's not easy but let's do it
0: uh, you talked a little bit about some of your uh, artistic practices Maddie came coming principally from a dance background and Yvette kind of getting your fingers in all sorts of different things M- Maddie where do you where do you feel your artistic practice is now or where do you where do you feel like you're, you're headed now?
1: That's a good question I mean because I was always when I was like okay I'm gonna do theater I thought of it as like in a performance way like I was gonna be mm-hmm. on stage doing musicals. And then now I'm writing now (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I want to keep writing. So that's just been really cool.
0: Do you feel like, you know, that that takes away from other things or do you feel like you, you can continue to pursue performance as well as creation?
1: Yeah, like I definitely feel like I can pursue both things. I feel like there's just so many things that I want to do. So I would just want to keep doing as much as I can because I enjoy it.
0: (laughs) That's great. I mean, like Yvette was saying before, it's really great to be able to, you know, sharpen several different kinds of skills because you never know what's kind of come up the pipeline. And uh, I don't know, one of the things that we've been trying to build through the VIC programming not to like do my own self-promotion, my own Vic hat wearing here, but it is just to try to encourage people to do different things because, you know, your your seasons can grow and adapt in different ways. Some days, some some years you'll have lots of shows and some years you, you'll have less shows and being able to have those skills to do other things when maybe you're not performing in productions that other theaters are producing. Uh, I, I personally think that's a really uh, important and critical thing. What are your feelings in regards to to that Yvette, to kind of juggling multiple facets of theater, of, of creation, of performance?
2: I think it's like you, critical and imperative because some, some seasons there's going to be a pandemic and <laughs> there won't be any performing. <laughs> no. And that's yeah. when you get a lot yeah. of time to develop your writing skills, to work yeah. as, dramaturge to work in readings on the zoom machine also a career is funny like you everybody starts thinking they're going to be an actor and along the way you start discovering the other things that you like to do or you want to do like writing like directing I think it's great to have a big toolbox with lots of tools in it so that you can for me it's meant that I don't I didn't have to have a day job I haven't had a like a straight job for decades now because I have enough skills to work in theater and a bunch of other ways. Sometimes that's administration. And, it's, and sometimes you have to go like, yeah, I can't do this anymore because if you're a good administrator, nobody wants to let you do anything else. Same like being <laughs> a stage manager, right? If you're a good yes. stage manager, no one will let you act
0: <laughs> because oh stage gosh.
2: managers are more precious than actors. Yeah. But if you acquire those skills, then you are in a position to do almost anything and stay working in the theater where you keep practicing and you keep acquiring skills.
0: That's really great. I hope that we can get to a point where people continue to have that value system because I think diversity in, in practice, diversity in, in the work that you do is so important. It's a real key to survival in the arts and continuing to work. So why don't we uh, shift things over a little bit? I'm just curious if either of you had any particular expectations coming into this project. Why don't we start with Yvette? What were you expecting to happen? What were you hoping for coming into this?
2: I had no idea. My (laughs) biggest expectation was I would meet a young Indigenous artist. Awesome. I had no idea what Maddie's practice was. Mm -hmm. We have lots of things in common, including Winnipeg, including growing up as an urban Aboriginal, including presenting this way, which is for those of you out in the podcast land, which is I can pass as white or ambiguously ethnic. Mm-hmm. And that's a certain way of growing up. Mm-hmm. And so those are things that we had in common that we discovered really quickly in our first discussions, plus the playwriting thing, plus Maddie did dance. I started, I did ballet when we moved to the city until I was 14 years old, oh, yeah. the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. So, So there's a bunch of affinity there. What was I expecting? I was just like, what do you want to do? I'm here to to <laughs> talk to you about that. And we did a lot of stuff. <laughs> Maddie's read more plays in the last four weeks, I think.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I give homework.
0: <laughs> Good for you. That's great. Well, why don't I, I, I flip things over to Maddie? Did you have any kind of expectations or any kind of big hopes coming in?
1: I kept my expectations pretty open. I was like, cool, I'm going to meet, like, this Indigenous artist and we're going to write something. And, we're, like, I was just very open to anything that I didn't mm-hmm. want to, like, restrict my expectations to, like, yeah. okay, this needs to happen or else this was a waste.
0: You were talking about your process and kind of some of the homework and some of the different things that you, you were doing over these last four or so weeks. What kind of discoveries did you did you make? Maybe about yourself or your partner, Maddie. Why don't you get to get us started?
1: Writing is there's so much to it, and it just never ends. <laughs> 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 like I'd write like a couple pages and then there would open up so many questions that Yvette would mm-hmm. ask at our next meeting that I hadn't even like thought of exploring and it's like I've got like a couple pages but there's so much more that could go, these characters could go towards and like mm-hmm. there's just a whole new world created just from that being written. Cool. Like scary at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did you find the process of writing yourself to you just discover anything about yourself that you maybe didn't know or were uncertain about in some of these exercises that you tried out?
1: I learned that I need to distance myself a bit from the characters that I write. So it's not just like me writing about a character named Maddie, which <laughs> I have done before, <laughs> which yeah. is part of why I wanted to explore like writing dialogue and like mm-hmm. things that weren't just pieces that were me talking to the audience. Yeah, And so then having like a character with a different name, a different life story was Neat, but then also having like similar experiences so that I could still write about that.
0: Most playwrights say that there's a piece of them in every character of their work, but finding that balance of not just writing from your specific point of view, but finding other characters, other points of view, even though there's, there's your shared experience within that uh, narrative, within those explorations. Mm-hmm. Yvette, anything that you discovered or any kind of new things that uh, came to light in working with Maddie over these last uh, few weeks?
2: It's always a joy to me when when I start working with a playwright who gets plays Mm. and Maddie gets dialogue and gets plays and knows how to, you know, the scene that she's recording today started as one thing and kept expanding and kept changing and kept adding without getting exposition-y. So Maddie knows how to write (laughs) plays where everything is in the dialogue and there's very little Mm -hmm. stage direction. (laughs) And that is fantastic because it's a hard thing to teach. So I think, you know, being a theater creature and knowing, being an actor and starting to direct and having done some creation for self, all of that helps when you get into the playwriting, where you're writing characters, that was a great discovery because some of those things are really hard to teach. But like I said, I also gave her plays. Also (laughs) funny that Maddie was like, I want, I said, what are you interested in talking about? What are you, what are you curious about? And she said, well, you know, this identity thing, but I don't just want to write identity plays. And I'm like, okay, you can write whatever you want. But of course, the thing that Maddie's been working on (laughs) is a play about that identity, right? Like mixed indigenous white in an urban center. And it's funny. That's the other thing that I was really thrilled to see. Maddie writes funny. Like it's <laughs> the scene is funny from the top and still serious.
0: <laughs> As Maddie mentioned earlier, we had the great pleasure of working with Maddie uh, for a few years in the past, and uh, we got the luxury of discovering her <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, that's not a surprise to us in any way, shape, or form. But that's really great to hear. You're talking about some really interesting themes that I wouldn't mind kind of digging into if you if you feel so inclined. I also kind of want to sidebar and, and ask, what were the plays that you read?
1: Salt Baby and The Birds, Susan Laurie Park's play a day.
0: So well, why don't we dig into that theme a little bit more? Do you feel comfortable sharing us sharing with us, I should say, a little bit more about what what it's like to be an urban indigenous person and trying to explore that theme writing about something that's very personal but as well trying to juggle that thing of uh, allowing your experience to be sort of presented through the eyes of uh, other characters
1: growing up it was a thing I was aware of but it was never something I actually acknowledged until like A couple years ago really Mm -hmm. it wasn't really something i incorporated into my art for some reason i was always very separate like i separated myself and what i created and like Mm -hmm. my identity didn't really overlap with that as much Mm -hmm. as it could have and so that was definitely something i wanted to explore with this the setting is just there's a girl and she's with this guy she's reuniting with after they went to school when they were younger and so he's kind of trying to flirt with her she's not into it (laughs) well then the family keeps showing up and makes her feel like she's like on display basically so then they have to acknowledge the differences like racially between them and just all these like it's about just like the small little things that add up Mm. which are like a lot of them are like real examples
0: (laughs) Yvette what what was it like grappling this subject matter kind of helping Maddie explore this
1: because our experience
2: is so similar Mm. Winnipeg mixed family I had I also told Maddie stories about what it was like for me as Mm -hmm. a young person in Winnipeg and sometimes it's the same like (laughs) Maddie's putting stuff into her into her script I'm like that I've been there yeah I've done that it's so interesting to me that nothing has changed in, Mm. what, 30 years or something. It's Which is why when we started talking immediately, I I sent her Salt Baby by Phelan Johnson, Mm. which is about a young Indigenous woman who presents white, hence the title, Salt Baby. It's Mm. what they call babies, Indigenous babies on her res, who present white. And it's that character's grappling with what it means to be Like wanting to hang, wanting to hang on to your identity and be proud of your identity, but at the same time, resenting the exotification of your identity. So it becomes the only thing about you that people are hooking on to. So it was interesting to be like, yeah, you see it like generation after generation we're we're still all dealing with this, but every story is different, even though it's that we all have similar sort of moments in our lives, and how we grapple with them, and that the world has changed in the time since, you know, since I was a young woman, since Phelan wrote Salt Baby, we never get tired of it, like the world never gets tired of it. And right now, we're all in this huge discussion about identity, and especially Indigenous identity, who gets to say who's Indigenous? And that's a thing that affects this whole country. So not just Maddie and Yvette, not just Sammy, her character based on Maddie, everybody, all Canadians are affected by this question right now.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's really astute. I, I was uh, listening to uh, the radio on my way to, yes, I still listen to the radio. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> On my way to a performance uh, yesterday, there, were some, there was a discussion about this issue of indigenous sovereignty in, I think it was Finland, where there's this new legislation that came out about who gets to decide who's part of this indigenous group? And there's this large group of people who are very wealthy and have a lot of power who are trying to influence that. And so it's interesting to hear that it's not only a Canadian issue, that the issue of indigenous identity is happening all over the world. And I just find it really interesting that that all these discussions are kind of like coming out now in a way that's a little bit, I'm, I'm just seeing and hearing more about it than maybe I did when I was younger. At least, you know, I maybe just wasn't aware of it uh, in my own wonderful naivete. When you talk about urban indigeneity, I'm really fascinated about hearing more about that because uh, I'm a, a Métis person. I discovered my Indigenous ancestry when I was about a teenager. And so I found myself trying to grapple with figuring out how to find that piece of my culture. I'm just interested in hearing more about this experience as a, you know, what what we're calling urban Indigenous person. From my experience, a lot of people equate indigeneity to you know ancient traditions which are beautiful and wonderful but is only one one piece of the indigenous experience and I'm just curious if either of you want to elaborate on that
1: for me I feel like I grew up without really any culture from either Mm -hmm. side and so like there was just no connection to anything there Mm -hmm. and yeah like I've just been raised like I've lived in three houses all within like two minutes from each other on the same side of the city like I don't really have many experiences and that's part of like why I've wanted to use theater, which is something I love to connect with indigenous culture and identity.
2: Yeah, certainly me too. Growing up in Winnipeg, like we arrived there when I was six. My mother had been in a couple of residential schools and married my father straight out of residential school. He was her math teacher And then we moved around a bit and then we moved to Winnipeg. So it's not my territory. It's not my mother's territory. Mm -hmm. She was married to a white man. She had lost her status Mm. because of that. So we, none of us had status. And then as she started to find her way back to her culture, she never got back to her res, which was in Quebec, but she started to connect to sort of the urban Aboriginal, you know, the friendship center. She started children of the earth with Priscilla settee, which is a survival school in Winnipeg. And part of that was in response to her having lost so much of her culture, having been taken from her community when she was seven. Yeah. So as she found her way back, I found my way in. Mm. And so that was my experience in the city. You know, I taught Drama, Children of the Earth. I My mother worked in a group home that's largely naturally indigenous kids. Mm-hmm. So I would go and do drama games with them. So I was finding my way to culture in, in what the city offered me, which was indigenous, you know, the friendship centers, the powwows that were close every year. We would, when I was a teenager, we would drive to Quebec and spend two weeks in the bush with my grandparents. So I had a connection to them, but not a like not a live living with them kind of experience. Yeah, Theater is a way of finding your way to culture. When I ran Native Earth in Toronto, indigenous artists would show up all the time at the door and be like. I, hi, I don't know anything about, I'm not really connected to my culture because I was scooped, because I was adopted, because all of the reasons. And I and we'd be like, okay, come on in. And then they would find their way to culture through the art, through working on the, being around other Indigenous people. And we were all different. Like we're all different nations at Native Earth. And that I think is one of the things that theatre can do for us. Not just for us, like Maddie and me and all of the artists who came through Native Earth, but us, the audiences can also find their way into what it means to be Indigenous and what it means to be living with Indigenous on this land when you don't know anything about them. So that goes for white Canadians, as well as for us, because of colonization, because of the diaspora, because of all of those things.
0: Wow, thank you. I really appreciate uh, your points of view I'm going to move on to another question, if that's okay. Do you mind sharing a bit more about your process throughout these four weeks? Uh, You talked about uh, some of the homework that you had to do and some of the writing that you did. Is there anything else that you missed out on or do you want to maybe even, you could even share what it was like to go through those four weeks and some of the different things that uh, that you did over that time?
1: I mean, we'd meet and we'd just chat a lot. (laughs) So that was very nice. About, like, anything. Uh, we talk about, like, the writing and, like, questions about that and Mm -hmm. just where to go with that. And then usually I'd just be left with, like, some plays and just keep writing. Keep writing is what (laughs) Yvette always wanted, which I did. And then, yeah, that was basically just our meetings would just be a cycle of, like, we chat about things that are going on in our lives. And then we talk about the writing and we talk about the plays.
2: Yeah, because Maddie was also directing at school at the same time. So we also talked about the process of directing mm-hmm. and about pedagogy really, and how we are taught how that does or does not flow with indigenous worldview mm. <laughs> you know like the like how we're being taught things by people who were taught things a long time ago and the world has changed. yeah so we talked about that. Maddie wrote and had a drive has a drive open where I could go in and look at what she was writing, how she was revising things, mm-hmm. which was really great. Nice that we're coming to the end of our time together, except I said, and this is what it's like in Indigenous country. Now we're in relationship and now you can't actually get rid of me. So um, <laughs> so this is the way it works, right? But all theatre is relational and yeah. Indigenous worldview everything is relational. So it makes like, you can't just stop. And I'm going to just keep a sending her place to read and b asking (laughs) to see where she's at with the writing. I mean, how do you work together if you don't know each other?
0: Yeah, you were talking a bit before about trying to address the way that people are teaching. And I think that that kind of touches in on what you were just talking about, about kind of getting to know who you're working with and trying to help them f- discover their process in what they're trying to do, as opposed to enforcing some sort of other view on them. You were mentioning about in directing, talking about indigenous uh, perspectives in education and in directing. Uh, do you mind elaborating on that a little bit more? I'm really fascinated to hear more about that. You know, Maddie, you're, you were working on a piece, you were doing some directing at the time. What was it like to be working on that through, you know, a, a, an institution that has maybe a, a shape that's a little bit more, I, I'll go out on a leap here and say rigid or something along those lines, and then coming back and trying to share that experience with Yvette and seeing what uh, what feedback you'd get from that. What was that like?
1: Theatre in school where you get grades is so interesting because (laughs) I'm directing the scene. And then I'm like, okay, there are choices I can make. Which ones are going to get me the best grade? Right. Like as much as I could try to genuinely be like, okay, I want to make this the best scene Mm. that I want. It's still present and just something that I can't ignore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. I have done uh, some directing in my experience, and I've never had to direct for a grade. I can't imagine what kind of like weird mind twisting, bending that that would do in trying to figure out, as opposed to, I don't know, from my uh, meager experience, I, I, I would think that, you know, you're, you're generally trying to help the actors discover the most interesting and fruitful work. But uh, if you're being graded, that's uh, a, a really weird thing to kind of keep in mind wow
2: plus the material that that you're given in university is just frustrating if everything is connected sometimes the material you're given makes it really hard to understand how everything is connected Hmm. if we're looking at british plays from the last century or You know, like if we're looking like at exclusively at work, that is, I'm making air quotes, canonical, then right. how is how does that speak to who we are in this day and age? Also, you know, like directing for a grade servant of two masters right like how do you do that yeah. i told yeah. maddie about when i was in university and directing at the u of m and flunked got flunked by a professor for the way i had directed a scene and i was like mm. i had to i went and challenged it of course because i was i'm always been sort of a disturber <laughs> uh, a disruptor So, I mean, one of the things that I talked about that we talked about when we were talking about being in the institution is touching the bases lightly and without too much anxiety, taking the tools like everything is a tool. Learn it, put it in your toolbox, maybe never use it again, but then you've got it in there and it's like or also the the way that works when you're learning directing is like. You run into actors later on who were also trained in this and you can understand why they are in a certain place because you've had the same training as they have. It doesn't mean you have to yeah. do it the same, yeah. but it does mean that you you can understand why this it, it feels so weird and awkward.
0: That's really interesting. Um Geez, I just want to <laughs> I just want to hang out and, uh, and, and chat some more about these uh, these things, because, you know, like egotistically, I- I'm also I'll call myself an emerging director. And, you know, I-, I just find it really fascinating what you're talking about and kind of looking at those points of view and perspectives. I feel like you're just really sharing this beautiful perspective of what it is what what it means to be uh, an indigenous person trying to navigate these situations and and this the institution of arts education or if you want to call you know the institution of theater creation in Canada or in Winnipeg specifically and the you know the weird hoops and the weird challenges that indigenous people are still facing whether it's there's so little representation that the work is undervalued, or just like a lack of understanding and flexibility in trying to open up the processes to a more holistic or indigenous, or I I don't know what the right word is, viewpoint or uh, framework. It's just really cool and interesting. I'm curious where you envision yourself moving forward now, now that this mentorship, this part, this introduction to this mentorship has kind of concluded with the work that we're going to capture uh, of Maddie's work. Yvette, you were saying earlier how this is sort of just the beginning and now we're sort of stuck with each other. Do you uh, do you feel like you can elaborate a little bit on how you might envision moving forward after this process? Why don't you get us started, Yvette?
2: Sure because you know i get into these into these relationships through these kinds of pairings sometimes mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes and sometimes it doesn't take and you finish yeah. the the relationship or the gig and you're like bye but sometimes those people go from being whatever this relationship mentor mentee relationship is into more of a collegial relationship mm-hmm. i did a mentor mentee thing with katie german a couple of years Mm. ago and now katie and i were just colleagues right and so it's an ongoing relationship we're so dependent on our network anyway in this business that i think i think it's a good lesson that we make relationships and then you tend your relationships so that you can so that your network is strong and your people are strong i you know Colin Wolf, who is the artistic director of Quandoc now, I knew him when he was a student at university, but now we, you know, now we're in a collegial relationship, but he also still calls me and like, in fact, today he's like, have you got time for a phone call? I need to talk about this play I'm working on, Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that's what happens. If it's a click, if it's a fit, if both people feel like they want to go forward, then you go forward with it. Because we make those relationships and that's
1: who we are.
0: What about you, Maddie? How do you envision this moving forward? I would love to stay in touch
1: with Yvette. <laughs> Absolutely. Just love to be like being sent plays and like getting to read them and discuss them and just, just cool to have this person that I know now who's like, who's done it and like who's in the business and like it's really cool to have that connection now.
0: Speaks sort of to the value of, uh, you know, the core idea behind this wonderful little project, which is mentorship. Yeah, The Vic really feels strongly about trying to find ways to start these dialogues and that, you know, mentorship can happen in several different ways. You can be lucky enough to to enter into a sort of mentorship program, but I also want to, you know, make sure that people know that, like Yvette was saying, that, you know, mentorship is really uh, just relationships and it can just start with a cup of coffee. And if you find an artist that you're really you know, that you're really interested in or, or that whose work really inspires you or somebody that's doing stuff that you want to do, that's never a bad idea to just reach out and see if you can connect with people. There's this weird um, hierarchical system that it, that keeps people from making connections, which is really unfortunate, because I just feel like, I mean, you, you were kind of saying that before, Yvette, that's sort of what the business is all about.
2: Absolutely. And it's a strange construct, that hierarchical shape for a business that is theoretically collaborative but we still impose this like sort of hierarchy on it
0: yeah it's it 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 really baffles me um (laughs) but here we are you know I was just wondering if there's anything else that you want to share, anything that maybe I've missed or any other kind of stories or or things that you feel that uh, the listeners might might want to hear about or things that you were just dying to say that I just failed to acknowledge.
1: I mean, I feel like I could talk about like the weird power dynamics they teach you at university for a long time. So I don't know if we want to get into all that,
0: but. What is it about those power dynamics that that feels so oppressive that what is it like when those power dynamics aren't there? Like, can you give us a sort of comparing contrast of those experiences?
1: So like my first year, my first couple of years of university, when I was like in my first play, I was like terrified as an actor. I thought that I needed to be told how like how to move my arms, how to move across the stage and like I assumed that's something I picked up just from learning at university for a couple years and then I when I started doing village I was like whoa it's not supposed to be like so rigid and like you're told everything exactly you need to do and like so I felt like I gained this confidence within myself after going back and like doing university after that i felt like i could i had so much more freedom it's like from as an actor and like as a director cuz like directing my scenes i'm aware of the grade and stuff but like <laughs> <laughs> i try to make it a collaboration and like yeah i want my actors to feel safe and comfortable and
0: yeah cool well that's good to hear it's nice that you know you've been able to find that sense of freedom in in your work and and bring that to the university Here's, here's a question. How do we change that dynamic? How do we address this strange hierarchical power imbalance that exists? How can we challenge that without putting ourselves at risk?
1: I did a class last year with a younger instructor who is like currently in the industry. The difference between that and people who are set in their ways and not open to adapting them.
0: The grizzled veteran. hmm are you finding that there's like a new, a new wave, a new vibe from this uh, younger generation of educators? Yes. <laughs> I'll
1: accept those words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about you, Yvette? How do you feel about this hierarchical system that we're talking about? And how can we find ways to address it or dismantle it or, or at least thrive within knowing that it's there and, you know, not let it oppress us as much?
2: I think it's it's going to take time because the system the institution is set up to protect itself. Yeah. We have faculty who are tenured, who've been there forever. Mm-hmm. And they are not leaving until they're ready to leave. So when we do hires after that, we have to be looking for younger, differently trained, diverse faculty. And that has to be. And I know the universities want to do that because because that's been identified as a priority, like to diversify, Mm -hmm. to be more inclusive, to be more equity seeking. But there are systems in place that keep us from making those changes quickly. And so. I think it's telling that Maddie had a younger, hipper teacher, who <laughs> brought a different training into the space, and that made all the difference. You know, Maddie's talked about what Village has meant to her, to me, in terms of changing her thinking about learning, about learning mm. about theater. And I think if we can, in the other places, support the change... Like Mm. other trainings that we do, other teachings that we do that are not within the institution, but will still challenge the learning that we're given in the institution. That may help judge it a bit, right? But it's going to take time inside those
0: institutions. Yeah. So what would you say to the sort of emerging indigenous artists who are kind of breaking out of these programs or maybe who are looking to get into some of these roles, some of these educational roles that, you know, maybe they've finished their master's and they're kind of coming out or, or they're looking, they want to teach at a university, they don't know how to present themselves or how to work within that system or what to do. What would you say to somebody like that?
2: You know, I think indigenous scholars and indigenous tra- trained educated indigenous theater practitioners are very, very valuable right now, and they can choose where they want to go. And so I think as they're looking for a spot, they need to be aware of whether it's spitting into the wind or whether that organization, that institution really wants to make the change. So don't waste your, your energy and your resources in a place that is just talking the talk. Look for an institution that actually looks like it's ready to change and invest your energies there. Like I said at the beginning, we don't have critical mass, right? So we can't waste our precious people in places where they're just going to be squished by the system. They have to look for the places that are ready to make the change. Look for the tools that are going to help you. Look for the the colleagues that are going to support you. Try things, and if it's not working for you, find another thing to do because, because we have a lot of work to do.
0: Cool. That's really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing that. If uh, any of our listeners are looking to connect with either of you, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, Madison, M-A-D-Y-S-O-N, and then Richard, spelled like Richard. (laughs) And I'm not on any socials, but
2: everybody knows you, Simon, so they can contact the Village Conservatory and be put in touch with me.
0: Wonderful. I just feel really privileged to be able to have spent this time with the both of you to be able to listen to your experiences and to share in some of your stories and hear your feelings about those things. Quite uh, lucky to be able to be in this position to to listen to you and to hear about the wonderful work that you're doing and to hear about your ideas for uh, a brighter and better future. So thank you both so much. Thanks to anybody who's listening to this uh, sweet little podcast called It Takes Two. If you want to uh, listen to any other content that we make, there are other episodes available. We also have a podcast called Monkeys and Playbills, which is all about uh, musical theater, Broadway shows that uh, had less than, I think, 100 performances on Broadway. And uh, we'll also have another podcast coming out shortly, which is called Tales of the Great Transfiguration, which is a narrative podcast written by a local playwright by the name of Ben Townsley, who is also a Vic alumni, funny enough. So, uh, you know, we're getting our grubby little fingers (laughs) in everywhere we can, uh, trying to support the most amazing, talented, cool, and wonderful people that we can find here in uh, Winnipeg on Treaty 1 territory. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch you next time.
2: Thanks, both. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of It Takes Two. Today's special guests were Maddie Richard and Yvette Nolan, and this episode was hosted by Simon Miron. For the Vic Digital Studio, I'm Daphne Finlayson, your friendly neighbourhood producer and editor. Music for this show is provided by Paul de Gers, with clips used from Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. The Village Conservatory gratefully acknowledges the support of the Canada Council for the Arts in making this podcast possible. For more on this podcast and other offerings from the Vic, visit us at villageconservatory.com or follow us on social media at Village Conservatory. Thank you so much.